Welcome to Epiphany, the podcast where we discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect by the renewal of our minds in the light of Christ. Hey guys, welcome back to Epiphany, the podcast, and thank you for joining again. Uh, for today, we will be discussing round two of confession. Um, last week, we spoke about kind of the theology of confession, where it comes from, how to help understand what's going on in that, you know, why do we confess to a priest, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and this week, we will be getting into the nitty gritty. We'll be discussing the practicals of confession, and I'm not alone. I'm joined here today by John Parker once again. He's stayed on for the rest of the conversation. So welcome, John. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me again, Father. All right. So let's dive in. So we talked about the theology and I think on the conceptual level, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of learning to be done, right? Like, okay, where does confession come from? Why do we do it this way? Et cetera, et cetera. But I would imagine, John, when you were coming into the church and you've told me this before, there's also just probably a lot of like practical confusion. What, what would you say was like the biggest thing, practically speaking, that you were like nervous about when it came to confession? I mean, the obvious thing is just you're too nervous to go. I mean, you're having to look someone and tell them, like, all you've done. I mean, how do you prepare mentally for your first time to do that? Or even if you just have not your first time, just been several years, several months. I mean, the nerves to do that, it takes some guts, really. It takes something else in you. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's so true. It takes I – think, I think it takes trust. Yes. It's an incredible amount of trust, is it not? Right. Not only trust in God that like he's going to forgive you and he loves you and all, all those things. But I'd imagine part of that, too, is you, you have to trust the priest to a certain degree. Right. There's, there's a lot of vulnerability in confession. There's a lot of um, exposing what you would consider the worst parts of yourself. Right. And, and to someone else. And that's that's definitely not fun. But um, tell me this then. How. Uh, how did you how did you kind of work through that? What was the thing that kind of helped you get over the nervous hump there and just dive right in? It took a, several months of just building up, I'd say, um, just constant prayer and having to learn more about the sacraments and learn more about the church for me. And by the point that I got to where I was ready, I was about running into the room. I was so excited to do it. But it it takes a lot of just – I think you, it is a lot of building that relationship with your priest, I think, is a important factor in it. And I think it's a also just building that prayer life to build up to it because it is about trusting God as well as trusting that priest. And trusting the church, I think, was the big thing for me, though. Like I had to be like, I had to get in my heart like, yes, they are teaching the right stuff. I have to really believe that the church is doing the right stuff. The Catholic church is the one that is going to help save my soul. So you have to have faith in your church, your priest and God all at the same time to get there. Yeah, that's a, and that's a lot of trust. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. Yeah. I would definitely echo just as a priest and kind of a pastor of souls and someone who helps, you know, bring people to the sacraments and to our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I would, I would encourage you to do that, to spend time in prayer. Um, if you're really nervous to go to confession, a couple things I'd say. Number one, remember, remember what I said last episode. Remember about the power of God's mercy, but not only the power of his mercy and the, the power of his forgiveness, but maybe even more importantly, the willingness of his forgiveness. The fact that he wants to forgive you. He hungers to forgive you of your sins. Like it's, he, he desperately desires to be in communion with you. Focus on the Lord's mercy. Don't focus on the weight of your sins. Right. In, in, in the face of the Lord's mercy, your sins become almost nothing. But the reason we're afraid to confess our sins is we're afraid of, I think, I think part of what makes us afraid of that is I think we're afraid of what it means for us. Like if I'm going to admit I did this, that means something about me. 
And so I think one of the, the classic mistakes we make, which makes us nervous to go to confession, is we think that we are our sins, that our sins somehow change us into a new kind of thing or like, oh, I've sinned, therefore I'm this kind of person. Um, but I want to remind you, even <coughs> when you've sinned, even when you've dropped the ball and fallen flat on your face, you still by your baptism are a son or daughter of God. Like that doesn't change. You can't give that away. That's that's been that's been done to your soul. That's an indelible mark, is what we call that. Like your soul at baptism was marked in a way that cannot be erased. And so even when you sin, you are still like that young younger brother who comes back to his father. You are still a son of the father. You are still a daughter of the heavenly father. And so focus on that. I think oftentimes we just give our sins way too much power, way too much influence. We're like, I have sinned and therefore I don't deserve X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, none of us deserve any of the things we've been given. Let's just be frank. Um, But the Lord has chosen us and that chosenness, that election, right, is really important. And so if you're really nervous and you're really struggling to find strength and confidence to go into the confessional and to to offer your confession, um, just reflect on that. Reflect on the love of the Lord. Reflect on the Lord who died on the cross so that you could be free from exactly what's plaguing you now. You know, that would be my kind of advice to build off your advice, John, on to those who are nervous about the sacrament. Yeah, and I would totally say something that was told to me was stop focusing on, think of it as the name confession, as you're stop focusing so much on I have to air out all my dirty laundry is focus on the name of reconciliation of you're doing this to get back in line with God, to get that eye contact back because it makes it a lot less intimidating when you're thinking, I'm just trying to be with God again. Amen. Yeah. And that's actually, that's a really great point. It's something I didn't mention last time that's worth mentioning now is, is the sacrament of confession is that's kind of the common name now, but there are several different names for that sacrament and probably the most I don't want to say any of them are more theologically appropriate, but probably the most common one in the in the catechism and in the text is the sacrament of reconciliation. And, and I like that, and that's exactly right, right? Because the, the other name for the sacrament of confession slash reconciliation would be the sacrament of penance. People have said that before. And if you think about it, reconciliation, confession, and penance, those are just elements of the sacrament that we highlight. And so... Most people worry more about the confession part, and so that's why the name confession has probably become more popular. But what we're missing when we focus too much on that confession moment, which is very nerve-wracking and tough and hard, is we're missing the reconciliation. The beautiful part. Exactly. The, the whole point. Like the whole point of the sacrament is reconciliation, to be brought back into communion with the Lord to be so that we can see eye to eye again. And so, yeah, I th- that's great. That's great advice. You know, focus on what you're getting, not on what you're losing. And that's just general life in the spiritual. That's just general advice for the whole spiritual life, guys. Like every yes has many no's as well, right? When we say yes to the Lord, we're oftentimes saying no to other alternative options. But guys, all the alternatives are awful. (laughs) I mean, the yes to God is the only yes you need. But sometimes we get debilitated in saying yes to the Lord because we we are so painfully aware of the things we have to say no to in order to say yes to the Lord. And that's because we're attached to them. And sin does that. Sin sin attaches us to lesser goods. Sin attaches us to things that are not as good for us as the Lord, right? And so, yeah, focus on the reconciliation. Focus on seeing the Lord face to face again. Because that's what that's what the sacrament of reconciliation does. It's a glorious moment. And I'll tell you, as a priest, that's what I'm thinking about. I'll tell you, as a priest who sits in the chair, I'm not sitting here like getting excited over the weird sins you've committed. Like, I just honestly, I'm so bored with the sacrament of confession in a certain way at this point. Like, you hear, you just hear the same things over and over and over again. And even the most unique and weird sins that people are like, oh, you've probably never heard that. I've heard it. I prom- like, I honestly, I don't think I could be surprised even at this point anymore. Now, I guess like superstition, knock on wood. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not looking to get surprised, you know, don't, don't take that as a challenge people, you know? But um, my point is like in the, when I'm sitting in that chair, I'm not thinking about your sins. I'm thinking about the fact that, gosh, praise God that the Lord found this one. 
Praise God the Lord found this lost sheep and has brought him back. Like, how incredible is that? Like, I just, oh, man, I, I get excited. I get excited for the sins that get to be forgiven by that sacrament. And they're forgiven almost so easily, too. That's the thing that really excites me. But anyway, I could keep talking about this. Well, I think angle. people also yeah. need to hear what you just said. Again, go back and rewind it if you need to hear it, because I know I need to hear it quite a bit heading into my first confession of you're not unique. Yeah. Like, you're not the first. You're <laughs> Sadly, you're probably not the last. You yeah. know, praise God if you were the last to do that sin. Great. But, yeah. you know, you're not unique. Say, so just go in. You know, you're. they're not going to be judging you. I mean, that's what a lot of people, I feel like, need to hear. Is yeah. You're not being judged. Amen. No, it's uh, the way the way a good priest mentor of mine um, from way back said it. He says, um, this, this is a place of mercy, not judgment. Right, the confessional that room, there is no judgment in that room, just mercy, you know. And so that's an important thing to remember. You will only receive forgiveness there. Yeah, yeah. And I guess an, the next practical question I have is, how do I prepare for confession? Like, how do I build in the build up for this? How do I make a good confession at the same time? Well, that's great. Um, yeah, I love that question too because it's it's not often asked enough. Um, and even if it's asked a lot, it's definitely not, <laughs> it's not done enough. So step number one for preparing for a good confession is um, prepare. <laughs> you would be surprised. Maybe you wouldn't be. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you guys are sitting here thinking it's you. And I do this sometimes too. If, if I, if I have a priest friend over, I'm like, oh shoot, I, I really need to go to confession. Like, Hey, can I drop? But prepare for a good confession. Spend time in prayer and even out of prayer as well, but spend time in prayer praying about and thinking about what are the ways in which I have harmed my relationship with the Lord? What are the ways in which I have chosen things that are not good for me? What are the ways in which I've said no to the invitation of the Lord? Which, what are the ways in which I've said no to the, the, the grace the Lord wants to offer me? Um, and prepare in prayer. So that'd be step number two. And step number one is just do it, like do some kind of preparation. Step number two is do it in prayer you know, spend time in prayer preparing. And step number three is if you, if you, if you've been going to confession for a while and you're like, I just don't really know. Like, I can't think of any sense. I was like, I promise you there is on the internet, a, an examination of conscience that will remind you that you are still very much a sinner. Okay. And so if you really need help thinking of ways in which you've hurt the Lord, find a good examination of conscience and an examination of conscience. If you're like totally unaware and that's like something super unfamiliar, an examination of conscience is basically just a list of reflective questions that basically say things like, um, have I lied to somebody? Have I, you know, stolen something? Have I, and it just goes through, but they get super specific. They can get very, very, very fine. It's like, it's like a comb, right? It, and it, they can become very fine toothed, you know, the, the, the various examinations of consciences. So, um, and so, yeah, find a good examination and that'll be helpful. But the next thing I would suggest is, uh, and, and some people kind of have differing opinions on this. So this is, this is not like a hard and fast rule. This is not a um, teaching of the church, but something that's helpful is just write it down. You know what I mean? Just like as you're going through, just write it down on a little piece of paper. And then once you're forgiven, burn it, burn that piece of paper, because that is where those sins are gone, evaporated in the ash, you know. And so that way, when you go into the confession, when you go into the sacrament of confession, you can basically just read it off, like list it off, you know, in that way. And that's, and that's, that's fine, you know. And so those are, those are just some of my pieces of advice on um, making a good, good confession. Now we'll say this, this piece of advice is like, only touch in case of emergencies, right? This is like, this is like, but if you really, really, really are like, I want all sin rooted out of my life and I want to like become a saint as fast as possible. Another option for an examination of conscience is you can pull your best friend aside or your spouse or your significant other and you can say, hey, what do you think we should go to confession for? And I promise you, all of a sudden, there will be a list. <laughs> and so if you're really, really struggling, it's not a bad idea to ask the people who love you, right? You don't ask your enemy who, you know, isn't a believer or whatnot. But, you know, ask, ask someone who really cares about your soul. Hey, 
I'm I'm really struggling thinking of sins. And I'll be like, oh, sit down. How much time do you have? <laughs> you know. And so if you need help with that, you know, you can always you can always find that and the people who love you the most. Um, don't ask a sibling because you know that's just petty. So <laughs> I'm just joking. But anyway. Um. Yeah, and then another practical question, I guess, moving on from that would be, um, what is preventing the priest from talking about? what I've said outside the confessional and what's di- what is preventing them from treating me differently after I get out of confession? Um, great question. The, the, the thing I want to highlight here for our understanding, if, if you're completely unaware, everything that is said inside the confessional or, or, or more specifically, anything that is said in the context of the sacrament of confession is under what we call the seal of confession. Um, which means that a priest is not allowed at all to say anything that he hears in the confessional um, to the point where the priest is not not even allowed to act on information that he receives in the sacrament of confession. So th- th- this is a, this is like this is kind of a classic example. Um, say you are say you're you know, you're the pastor of your parish and um, and one of one of your parishioners who counts money on Mondays, you know, comes in and confesses that they've been stealing money every week, you know, from the collection basket as they count it. Um, first of all, yikes for that priest because he cannot then go and ask that person not to count money anymore because he's acting on information he learned in the confessional. He also can't all of a sudden call the diocese and ask them to do an audit. He can't like, he can't act on that information. And that's like incredibly tricky. And this is why, by the way, um, we, this is kind of getting a little into the weeds, but it's important for you all to know. This is why pastors do not hear the confessions of their employees because it just, it, it prevents them from ever getting stuck in an awkward situation like that, right? And this is also why, so I'm the parochial vicar at St. Michael's and my pastor, Father Farmer, I do not go to confession to Father Farmer. Not because I have anything to hide, but just like as a, as a protection against that. You know what I mean? Like if I confess <clears throat> or something weird that it puts Father Farmer in an impossible situation. And the reason we avoid it is because the the threat, and this is getting back to your question, what is preventing me from treating you different or or telling other people about what you confess? The What is preventing me is the threat of excommunication. If I break the seal of, of the confessional, I am excommunicated. Like I literally cannot act as a priest anymore. I have to, I have to be forgiven. I'm pretty sure that forgiveness has to come from the Pope himself. So like, to be honest with you, what's, what's preventing me from telling your sins to everybody else? Um, number one, on a practical level, they're not that interesting. So they're not worth talking about. Number two, um, way too much paperwork. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I have no interest in excommunicating myself from the church and having to go through the entire process of getting reconciled <laughs> in that. And it's just, and again, I like echo my first point. It's like, it's just not that interesting because your sins aren't you. You know what I mean? Like you're, I can't emphasize that enough. You are not your sins. You're not the sum of all the mistakes you've made in your life. Um, and so once your sins are forgiven, they don't even, they don't even really relate to you anymore. Like I can't really, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't even gossip about them because it doesn't matter. They're gone. Like it's like talking about something way in the past. It just doesn't, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's really no impetus for a priest to talk about it. But even, even if there was like the threat of breaking the seal, the confessional, is way too high. Is it's the highest penalty the church can exact, and so we take it very seriously. Where the priest priests take the seal of confession very very seriously. Um, yeah. So that I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, next question is what What if the priest denies me forgiveness? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. So we go back to John, and we know that whose sins you've forgiven or forgiven them and whose sins you retain or retain. So there actually is a power for the, the apostles, the bishops, and then extended through them to the priest. There is a, there is potential that a priest could deny you absolution is the, is the phrase there. We deny you absolution, <clears throat> but we are only allowed to deny you absolution under very specific circumstances. 
and probably the most common one is, and, and again, all sins can be forgiven. So it's not because you confessed a certain kind of thing. I will say there are there are certain sins that only the Pope can forgive. There are certain sins that like me as a parish priest, I don't have the authority to forgive. And so I'm not denying you absolution, but I'm like, and that's a whole tricky process and it's not really worth <laughs> our conversation here. But the whole point is if, if you confess one of those sins that only the Pope can forgive, what happens is I basically say, hey, come back to me in three weeks and then I will write a generic report without your name because I can't do that, right? Seal the confession. I would write a generic report to send to the Pope and basically say, hey, I have someone who confessed, um, for example, I have someone who confessed attempting to assassinate the Pope. <laughs> That's one of the sins that I don't have the authority to forgive. Um, and then the, po- the, the, the papal office would write back very quickly and say, you have been granted the permission to forgive that sin in this circumstance. And then the person would come back in those three, in that three week time, I'd have the authority and then I would forgive them there. So that's like, that's kind of a weird thing, but that's not what you're talking about. What you're talking about is what happens if the priest denies you absolution. The only reason, at least in my experience, you would do that is if you confess to sin that you do not, that you were not sorry for. That's like the technical way to say, but let, let's kind of let's kind of expand that a little bit. Um, here's an example: Say you come into the confessional and you say, "I have done X, Y, and Z," and I said, "Okay." And then the person says, "But I don't really understand why I have to confess X." I'm like, "Well, because X is a sin." They're like, "I just don't think it's a sin," and I'm like, "Well, okay, can." So then there's a dialogue that happens and I'm like, well, it is a sin. This is, this is why it's a sin. You know, this is why the church says it's not good for you. And say the person is like, I just, I, I'm not sorry for doing that. And then I'm like, okay, well, can you at least tell me, and this is me as a priest working really desperately to try to forgive this sin. I'm like, well, can you at least tell me that you wish you wouldn't have done it? You know, like, is there a, is there any part of you that thinks it's not good and you don't want to do it? And if the person is adamant, like, I don't think this is a sin. The only reason I've even said it is because I've been told by other people I should, but I don't agree with them. I don't think it's a sin. I don't think it's a big deal. And I plan to do it still. I'm not going to stop doing it. In that circumstance, which is far more rare than you'd, you'd think, but in that circumstance, I cannot grant absolution. And so it's not so much I'm denying you absolution, but you have disqualified yourself as a valid recipient of reconciliation. You see what I mean? Like you, yeah. like your, and this is an important thing when we talk about the, the theology of sacraments. Every sacrament has matter and form. They have the substance, that's the matter, the substance that's being transformed, but they also have like, the, 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 the ritual and the words that are associated with affecting the sacrament. For example, the sacrament of the Eucharist, I need wheat bread and grape wine. And I need to say the words, you know, this is my body, you know, et cetera. You know, the words of consecration. Um, I need to say those words and I need to hold it. And I need to do that. And then I need to consume it. There's also the epiquesis beforehand hands over. So there's a whole ritual in the proper words that make that sacrament go in the sacrament of confession. Your, as the penitent, your contrition, your sorrow for your sins is the matter that's being transformed. So if you show up and tell me I'm not, I'm distinctly not sorry for my sins, I don't think they're sinful, I don't want to stop them. What you have basically said is I didn't bring the bread and wine. And so it's not so much I'm denying your absolution as much as like I actually can't do anything for you. Like you, like literally, like you've kind of invalidated your own confession. And so if the priest is, is, is denying you absolution, um, you need to stop and seriously consider. And, I, and no priest would do that without explaining it to you and talking <clears throat> with you a lot. I would never just jump to, okay, you need to get out of here. You know, like that's, I would, I have worked, I've, I've done backflips for people in talking to them and trying to kind of coax some kind of sorrow and attrition in their hearts, just 
just a little, like, give me something that I can grasp onto that you at least desire to change, even if you don't think you ever will. Like, you know, something that like, give me something, give me some kind of angle where the Lord can kind of reach in and forgive. Well, getting into that, I was going to say, um, how does that work with addiction? Because you have, I'm sure you see plenty of times sins where people are like, oh, yeah, I, I've committed this sin. I know it's going to happen again. Yeah. But I am sorrowful. But like, how do you deal with someone who's who's sitting there going, "I know I'm going to do it again." Yeah, yeah. So um, the way the way we deal with that is, you do not have to promise or make an oath that you will never do that sin again in order to be forgiven. But you do need to say at least that you want to stop. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so, in the, in the case for of an of, of an addiction. You're dealing with someone who is maybe even incapable of stopping without extra help. You know what I mean? Without someone else, you know, kind of guiding them along, holding them accountable without the help of a 12 step program and stuff. Um, so yeah, we can still forgive even if your contrition isn't perfect. And that's actually a really, that's a huge blessing of the sacrament of, of reconciliation. We'll try, I'll try to say, say that word more to kind of keep that emphasis up. But, um, that's one of the cool things about the sacrament of reconciliation is you don't have to have what we call perfect contrition, which is sorrow in your heart over your sinfulness because of the way it hurts the Lord and because you love the Lord so much, which is different than attrition, which is sorrow in your heart for your sins because you're terrified of hell. <laughs> and and a lot of times maybe attrition is the thing that gets us moving and into the confession, uh, into the confessional, um, even though perfect contrition is really what we should be striving for is just such a deep and profound love of Jesus that we would like, we don't want to hurt him ever. And the thought of hurting him just destroys us in sorrow, right? That's like, that's perfect contrition. But most of us are just, let's be honest. Most of us are just terrified of going to hell. And that's like, maybe all you got, but that's enough, you know? And so if you go in, you're struggling with addiction, don't be discouraged. Don't, don't write yourself off as like, well, I, I, I know I'm struggling with this. Look, in, in, in confession, in this sacrament of reconciliation, what I'd ask is like, you don't have to fix this immediately, but you got you to gotta try. You got to give me something. You know what I mean? That like, at least you want to try. At least you'll pray about it. At least you'll, you know, take even the most micro step in the direction of the Lord's mercy, you know, and that's enough. And then the Lord can work over time. All we need to do is be present to him. I can't emphasize that enough. We just have to be present to him and open up our hearts just even a little bit, just a little bit more, a little bit more to his mercy, and he can kind of take care of the rest. Well, next question would, I feel like, is obvious stepping stone of, do I still get the same forgiveness if I realize after I got out, I forgot to say something? Like, I thought of it, but it totally slipped my mind. Like, how do I deal with something like that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question as well because that happens all the time, and I know it happens all the time because people tell me that frequently. Um, it happens all the time where I'll be giving the words of absolution. They'll be like, "Oh, Father, I remember something." You know, it's like stuff like that. And also, I know it happens all the time because I do it all the time. I, like, I'll, I'll say, "Oh gosh, I really should have," which is why, again, prepare for your confessions, um, write them down. You know, don't forget. But you are forgiven in the sacrament of reconciliation. All of your sins are forgiven, not just the ones you confess, okay? All of your sins are forgiven. Now, the one caveat there, and it's an important caveat, and it goes back to denying um, absolution, that conversation, if you purposefully withhold the sin, there's a sin on your mind, you know you committed it, and you withheld the sin, which means you did not confess it, you kept it quiet, you have invalidated your own confession, so you can't be like, I'm going to confess the ones that I don't think are as bad and keep the dark ones to myself because you actually invalidate the whole confession, which is just in other words of none of your sins are forgiven. You've completely invalidated it. Um, and so if you remember, though, if you like legitimately forgot, say you went to confession, totally forgot, like it just slipped your mind. Maybe it was something small enough that you just didn't think of, or maybe you had a list of so many sins you just missed one on your reading down. If you legitimately forget, it's still forgiven. All of your sins are forgiven. So don't freak out and like get back in the confessional line because you're like, oh, I, I just com-. no. If you legitimately forget, that's understandable. Um, 
But if you withhold it, that's a different story. You know, don't withhold your sins. Guys, I just can't emphasize enough. Just confess it. And honestly, my, my best advice for that too is start with your worst sin first. Just come out the gate and say it. Like rip the Band-Aid off. Just say it. You will be surprised at how unimpressed the priest is by your sin. Um, I remember one of one of the other students who came into the church, um, came into the church um, in the past couple of years, someone was asking him like, what was, what was it like? You know, one of the other guys who was coming into the church after him was like, Hey, what was that first confession? Like, what was your favorite part? Like what kind of, and he's and the guy said, he goes, the thing that was so healing about that confessional, uh, about that confession was how uninterested the priest was. It's like the priest's disinterest in my sins was so disarming, you know, because you carry these things like these are the worst things any human being has ever done in their life. And then you say it to a priest and all of a sudden you're like, okay, is that it? <laughs> like that's, that's how most priests are going to react in some way, shape or form, you know? And so he said that was very healing for him. Just like you said that the, the hearing the words, go in peace, your sins are forgiven was very healing for you. You know, it's like, so it's cool. It's cool. That's, that's one thing I would say um, about that. Well, we keep on talking about getting prepared before confession, having that list and all that. What if I just at the spur of the moment want to go to confession? I haven't made that list. I haven't had that time of prayer, but you know, sitting in adoration, I see the line short and I just all of a sudden feel this want to go. Am I not making a good confession because I didn't do all that stuff prior? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say you're not making a good confession, and I would encourage you to go if the opportunity presents itself. You need to go. Go for it. Um, which actually kind of let me add one more thing to the list of making a good confession. It helps dramatically in making a good confession and making a good preparation for confession, a good examination. If you do an examination every day, it is part of the liturgy, the hours, which is the the five times a day prayer that all priests and religious pray. Um, it is part of the liturgy of the hours of night prayer, the last hour of the day, that we begin that hour with an examination of conscience. So every single day we're examining our consciences. And so when that moment comes out of nowhere and it's like, okay, I got a chance to go to confession, in a sense, if you're doing it right, if you're being vigilant, you don't need to sit down for an hour and pray about it because your sins are before your eyes always, as it says in the Psalms, right? Um, my sins are always before me. Like the idea is I have already examined because I examine every single day and I know exactly what I need to confess, you know? And so that's that's just something, that's a little bit of advice. But even if you don't do that, even if you're just not ready, it's okay to just go to confession and to confess what the Lord puts on your heart. Also, mortal sins are the most important to confess. And I, I mean, unless you unless it's been a long, 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 long time, or unless you're committing so many mortal sins you can't even keep track, most people are immediately aware of what their mortal sins are. Like most people could recite to you, you know, um, on the you know on on a dime, like these are my sins. You know, these are these are my mortal sins. <clears throat> and so don't let don't let circumstances get in the way. You know, if 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 if, if the opportunity presents itself, go to confession. Worst comes to worst, you can tell the priest, Father, I didn't really have time to make a good examination. Could you walk me through an examination? Could you help me do an examination right now? Now, I'll warn you, some priests are a little impatient. I can be that way a little bit. But, you know, some priests can be a little impatient, so they may get a little frustrated with that particular request, especially if there's a huge line behind you or whatnot. So just be aware of that. They shouldn't be, I mean, but priests are human too, and we're kind of allowed our own human failings and weaknesses, you know. Yeah, well, you're talking about, like, we know our mortal sins, but, like, how do we actually know a mortal sin versus a venial sin? Like, how do we know that distinction? Yes. I'm glad you asked that because I, I realized um, upon reflection that I didn't really define <clears throat> that um, too much after, you know, in our last episode. So a mortal sin, it's a sin that kills our relationship with the Lord. It severs us from the Lord um, in relationship. There are three stipulations um, for what makes a mortal sin. Like all three of these conditions have to be met in order for a sin to be mortal. And it's going to be an answer, but it's also going to be kind of a non-answer. And you'll see what I mean. Because the first one is it has to be grave matter. The actual act 
has to be serious. It has to be grave matter is the, is the technical phrase there. And so then the question is, well, what is grave matter? And it's like, great question. <laughs> and we could talk about that and we can go through every single sin. But the church doesn't really define that super specifically. Right. And so there's a lot of debate among priests and, and Catholics all around about, well, is this sin grave matter? Is this sin grave matter? And I can give a little more about that in a second. But that's the first thing. Like the sin has to be a serious sin. Um, saying a moderately bad word out of frustration in a context that's totally, you know, whatever, uh, that's just not grave matter, not a serious sin. Murdering a family of six. Pretty grave matter. <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's actually six grave matters. You know, that's like, that's a pretty serious matter. So you can see like there are certain things that are just more serious sins. Um, yeah, and certain sins can become grave matter given the context as well. Um, but that's, 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 that's kind of a talk for another day, maybe a moral theology um, class or whatnot or a podcast. But so the first stipulation is have to be grave matter. The second stipulation is that the person committing the act has to do so with complete consent of their will. That means that they have to be com- agreeing to it with full consent. Um, and this is kind of this is an interesting conversation. This is an interesting point too, because it it technically means that if you are intoxicated, you are not in full possession of your will. And so what you do, however sinful or grave it may be, could the the mortalness of the sin could be compromised if you did so in an intoxicated state. Well, would be getting intoxicated. Would that be a moral sin in itself? Just giving away that consciousness? I would absolutely say so. Yeah. Now, I'm very hesitant to answer the question: Is this a mortal sin? Some some priests are not, and some priests say it very liberally, like though this is a mortal sin, this is not a mortal sin. This is. A, I, I am much more willing to say objectively, X, Y, and Z is grave matter. Okay. Um. And, and let me, and I'll come right back to this. Let me let me name the third stipulation, and that'll help for what I'm about to okay. say. The third stipulation, so the third condition, is not only that you have to give full consent of the will, but you also have to have full understanding that what you are doing is sinful, right? If you just have no idea what you just did was like a horrific sin, how can that be mortal? You know what I mean? Like, how can that destroy your relationship with God? Because you did, you weren't even aware. Now, um, so going back, is this sin mortal? I I can say whether a sin is grave or not with pretty sure confidence, but I can't judge your knowledge in the act of your will. I, I just don't have that power. Like there, for a sin to be mortal, I'd have to know exactly how much of your will you consent, you gave to consent to this. And I'd have to know how much understanding you had over the sin. Could I give a pretty good guess and say, yeah, that for you, knowing you, especially if you're my spiritual director or someone I know well, it's like, yeah, that, that probably was a mortal sin for you. But even then, I, I can't say full-throatedly like, oh, yeah, that was definitely a mortal sin. I, I will say, yeah, that was grave matter. Like you should not. Have, that was a pretty serious sin. That was a pretty serious screw up. And I and I'm pretty sure you know that. But I don't know. I mean, maybe you know. I don't know. There's a lot of things that can compromise the full freedom of your will and our understanding and stuff. <clears throat> so that's just kind of me. Maybe that makes me an outcast of a priest. I don't know. But I'm just I'm very hesitant to just jump right on the train and say. Um, and, and to say of something like that's just objectively always a mortal sin because there's so much subjective when you talk about the will and the intellect that kind of goes into making it a full mortal sin. Now, there's another point I want to make here in the moral theology department. If, if someone does something that is a grave matter, but they have, they truly do not know it's evil, that does not make the act unevil. It doesn't make the act good. The act is still evil. It may just not be sinful. And there's a distinction there I want to draw between sinfulness and evil. Evil is an objective description, right? And a thing is evil or it's not. Sinfulness is based in evil, but it also has to do with our subjective culpability for that. If I had absolutely no idea 
that what I just did took a human life, for example. Say like in this, in, in this, in this I'll create a little imaginarium. Say you walk into a room and there's a bunch of buttons on the wall and they don't look to be plugged up to anything. None of them are lit up or whatnot. And say you just go and press one of them and it's like, oh, that's kind of funny, whatever. And you walk off. Say that button was hooked up to an electric chair with someone who's innocent or not innocent, doesn't matter. But if there's someone sitting in the chair, you know, whatnot, and when you press that button, you killed that person. Did a sin occur in the person who pressed that button? I mean, no. Like that person had no idea, like it's completely unaware of what just happened, right? But did an evil occur? <clears throat> Absolutely. And evil did occur. So like, like life was lost. Okay. And so um, that's, that's a helpful distinction to know too. And what we're dealing with in the confessional, what we're dealing with in the sacrament of reconciliation is we are dealing with sins. We're dealing with things that you did um, that were sinful, acts of the will against the Lord, choices that you made to, to harm your relationship with the Lord or with others, right? Yeah, totally. But... um. When I'm in the confessional and doing my confession, how descriptive should I be in saying my sins? Like, how should I address doing a confession? This may be my favorite question that you've asked so far because <laughs> I bump into this all the time. Um, and it just goes down to how to make a good confession. So we've talked about how to prepare a good confession. How do we make a good confession? The church asks us to confess sins in number and in kind. Okay. Kind means what did you do, right? Um, to confess a sin in kind is the, is the difference between saying I can, you know, I committed an act of greed or I committed an act of envy or I committed an act of lust or whatnot. Um, and just for the record, all three things I just said, never say those, those phrases again. Those are awful confessions. You didn't tell me anything. You just said something super generic, right? The other thing is number. The church does ask us to confess how many times we've done the thing. Now, you may be sitting there thinking like, gosh, I cannot count that high how many times I've done. I do it every day. That's okay. Just give me a general sense of how often you struggle with it. Um, again, kind of murder is an easy scapegoat because it's such an extreme example. But like murdering one person and murdering six million people are two different things. Like that's, you give me some idea. Is this a habitual struggle you, you battle with like on a regular basis? Or is this something you, you fell off the train one night, you had a bad night and you, you haven't done it in forever and you have no plans of doing it again. And it's just, you know, like those are two different things. And the, those have two different effects on our souls. And it just helps the priest in giving you any kind of good counsel or advice or whatnot. So that's what I would say to that, you know, be, um, so give, confess your sins in number and in kind. Your question, how specific should you be? You need to be specific enough that the priest knows what you're confessing. One of the most common euphemisms I ever hear in the confessional, um, is I, um, oh gosh, how, how, how do they say it? I'm kind of blanking out. They, they say, um, people will say, I, I committed an act of lust or I struggle with lust, right? Um, literally meaningless to me as a, I just no idea what you're talking about. And I'm, I'm pretty intuitive. I can guess, but do you want me to guess? You know what I mean? Like, is that like, you know, confess what you, you did, you know? Oh, I viewed pornography or I slept with my girlfriend or I had a bad, I had a lustful thought. Because all of those are acts of lust, <laughs> but those are all very, like very, very different. And and, it, and and because and the reason I say that's the most common is I think it's also the most embarrassing. Like our our, our sins against the sixth, the ninth commandment is what the church calls them. Our sins against lust, against chastity, are some of the more just like. I don't know, shameful to us. And so we get very nervous to admit that we just, we kind of dodge around it with different words. Don't beat around the bush with your sins. Um, tell me what you did. And it's not because I am curious or I want to know, but as a priest, I am the one who has the, I'm, 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 I am using the authority God gave me to forgive your sins. It helps if I know what I'm forgiving in a sense, I have a right to know what it is I'm forgiving, you know? And so just confess your sins clearly you know, don't use euphemisms. Don't beat around the bush. Don't, you know, do stuff like that. Um, 
another trick I've noticed people do um, is they'll like hide their most embarrassing sin in a litany of really small, meaningless sins. <laughs> it's like they'll, the way they'll confess it is like to try to diminish it. And this is what I'll say to, to all those like little antics we do psychologically to kind of make it easier for us to admit what we've done. Going back, it's like, remember, the Lord wants to forgive you. He doesn't want to shame you. He doesn't want to embarrass you. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't want to judge you. But also, the way the sacrament of confession works is you are bringing your contrition. Like, you have a part to play in the sacrament. And so, the, you confessing your sins is not is not as much... And I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to kind of get into it. But it's not like you're – it's not as much that you're admitting that you did these things. Because if you think about it, everyone involved knows. You and God. I mean those are the two parties that are most important here. Both of you know you did it. You saying it out loud really isn't like – you're not doing anything new. You're not revealing something to God that he doesn't already know. He watched you do it. He was right there. You know, um, What you're doing when you confess a sin is you're letting go of the sin. You're letting go of it. You're letting the Lord into that sin, like into that place in your heart that's been wounded. And so the confession, the confession, that part of the sacrament is the means by which you open the door to the Lord's mercy. And so when we hide sins, when we kind of use euphemisms or we kind of beat around the bush and we we kind of, you know, we kind of do what Adam and Eve did, right? Right after they sinned, we kind of cover ourselves and, you know, whatever. When you do that, what you're all you're doing is you're you're holding on to that sin a little bit. There's a part of you that's unwilling to let go of it. There's a part of you that won't just let it die, and you're holding on to it and grasping it. So next time you want to use a euphemism or you're embarrassed by your sin, remember that your embarrassment is an attachment to that sin. Do you want to be rid of that sin? Do you really want to be forgiven of that? Just say it. Say the sin. Just 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 say it. Like just name the sin. And there's one last point I'll make to answer this question. How specific should you be? A priest only needs to know what sin you committed and about how many times you've done it. The circumstances surrounding the sin are not important. I don't need a story. Please, for the love of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and the mercy he wants to give you, don't give me the backstory. Um and I think there's some wisdom there in, in a lot of ways. Number one, I think oftentimes we give backstory as like a subconscious means by which we're trying to kind of explain away our sin. It's almost like we're trying to say like, oh, you know, um, yeah, I did this, but listen, like it was a rough night and I just wasn't like in a good place. It's like, it doesn't matter what the circumstances were. Just you, you did the sin. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like, it's not going to make me feel it's, it's like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about how it comes across. Don't worry about, well, the priest doesn't really understand that. Like I, I really didn't mean to. It's like, none of that matters. Like the Lord saw it. He knows your heart. He knows your heart better than you do. Just say the sin and move forward. Honestly, confessions in a sense shouldn't take a long time. Now, a general confession or a particularly moving confession, I'm not, I'm not going to like fault somebody for feeling so. It's not that. But the point I'm trying to make is um, a confession can be a quick thing and still a good thing. Dragging out your confession with tons of details doesn't make your confession any better. Honestly, in my experience, most of the time it makes it actually a little worse. Like, it's like, come on, like, just name the sin, man. Just let go of it. Like, just rip the Band-Aid off. Just say what you did and let's move on. Because your sin doesn't matter. Like, your sin is not important. The sin is not what we're focusing on. We're focusing on the reconciliation. But when you drag out the confession in this, like, big dramatic narrative about how you're – it's like, dude, get over yourself. Your sin – those sins are about to die. Why are you giving them a eulogy? <laughs> you know, it's like, just name the sin and let's move on. Um. Yeah, totally. But – Another question I'd have coming from all this would be using those euphemisms, beating around the bush. In a level of that, is there some of that where you could the priest could interpret that as you're withholding the sin? You could invalidate your confessional by doing those type of things? Potentially, especially if it's like a particularly bad euphemism. But most, and I'll tell you this, guys, like most priests are not going to push you on euphemisms. Most priests are just going to, they're going to, 
They're, they're just going to forgive you and it's okay. I'm not saying this on the level of like your confession was invalid because you used a euphemism. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm trying to get across. What I'm saying is it's not, it's not a matter of validity. I guess it could be in a certain sense. I think it's more of a matter of your subjective cooperation with the sacrament. It's not a matter of did God forgive your sins. If the priest says the word God forgives your sins, okay. It's more of a matter of how open are you to the forgiveness God gave you? Because every sacrament works that way. God is going to do what he does. We call that ex opere operato. That's like the fancy Latin phrase. And basically what it means is like, if I can, if I can summarize what that means theologically, it means is if the, if the priest said the words the right way and everything was in order, the sacrament happened. It doesn't matter how attentive you were. It doesn't matter how good the priest is of a priest. It, none of that matters. Like if the sacrament happens, the sacrament happens, right? Um, that's a really important theological point from the early church that we've clung on to, uh, clung to. And, but sometimes we get like, we, we rest too much in that to the point where like, well, the, well, the sins are forgiven, the sin, but it's like, yeah, but your heart is so closed off that I don't think any of that grace really even touched you. You know what I mean? It's the reason why you can go to mass millions of times and potentially still be unaffected by the fact that you are standing before the sun himself, like being beamed down with the most glorious rays of grace and mercy of all time. And you could just walk away like, oh, that was kind of boring. Like, yeah, because you didn't show up. Like you closed your heart and the Lord's a gentleman, as I said before. He's not going to force himself on you. So yeah, using the euphemisms, fine. Like, you know what? If that's what you want to do, do it. But I'm going to challenge you as a spiritual father. You are closing your heart off to what the Lord wants to do by doing that because you're not trusting. Every degree of embarrassment that you obey in your confession is is a degree to which you're rejecting an invitation to trust, ripping the Band-Aid off, just naming the sins, letting them go, be be crystal clear about what you did and how many times you did it. That's about as honest and trusting as you can be that the Lord will forgive you and have mercy on you. Yeah. And this is this next question I got comes from you talking about the mass. And uh, I see this a lot in my family that are cradle Catholics are not very active practicing. But they would say, like, I go to Mass every Sunday. You know, I live like a – they think they live a pretty good life. They are not focused on all that. But they don't go to confessional that often. Why would they – why do I need to go to confession if I'm doing everything else right in that book? Right. Well, there's a lot of – there's a lot to be said there. The first thing I would say is the church requires it of us requires it of us. Yeah. The church requires that we go to confession at least once a year, like bare minimum in the same way that the church requires us to go to mass every Sunday and Holy day of obligation, the church on equal playing field on equal standing requires that we go to confession once a year. That is grave matter to not go to confession once a year is grave matter. Some priests would say right out the gate, that's mortal sin. But again, I would, I would imagine most people don't even know that's a sin to not go to confession at least once a year. But now you do. So sorry, guys. <laughs> if, you, if you're listening to the podcast, you just learned it. That is a teaching of the church, a precept of the church. You have to go to confession one, at least once a year. And so if it has been longer than a year, guys, just go hop in line. Just go jump in there. The good thing, too, is most confessionals allow you to sit behind a screen. If you're really, really, if that's if that's like your biggest thing, like, and let's be honest, if that really is your biggest holdup, it's like, gosh, I just don't want to confess to a priest I know who's going to treat me differently. First of all, priests are not going to treat you differently. Um, second of all, just sit behind the screen. They won't even know who you are anyway then, you know, or, or God forbid, I mean, depending on where most of you live, there's probably another parish within driving distance. Just go to the neighboring parish. I love, you know, when we have at St. Michael's, when we have our penance service during Advent and Lent, we have so many people come out of the woodworks to go to confession. And so many of them will be like, where are Father Farmer and Father Peyton? They're like, oh, they're over there. It's like, okay, well, I don't want to go over there. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, give me any priest that is not, you know, my priest here. And it's like, you know what? I don't blame them. It's like, I get it. It's, it's shameful. But there are options to get around that. Um does that, I mean, does that answer your question? We kind of tagged yeah. off just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, about, um, yeah. It's, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The church asks us to do it. Sorry, I completely forgot the question. The other reason we go to confession is like you sin. 
So go to confession. Like, that's why, by the way, that's why we have the sign of peace during Mass. It goes back to Jesus telling us, like, if you have beef with your brother, Jesus obviously doesn't use that word. That's a, that's a modern word. But <laughs> if you've got beef with your brother, like if you and your brother are in a, in, a, in a conflict, leave your offering at the altar and go reconcile with your brother before you come and offer that offering. It's a command of the Lord. And so my thing is that if it's been forever since you've confessed your sins, that means it's been forever since you've been forgiven for your sins. And it's been forever since you've acknowledged your sins. And, and again, I can I can pull out the list that I uh, said earlier. I can pull out a whole list of all of the church fathers who talked about this, and all of them make that point. If you're going to come and pray, if you're going to come and enter into the liturgy, if you're going to come and enter into the Eucharist and celebrate this Mass— you got to confess your sins first. Like you have to acknowledge that you were a sinner. And that's another piece of it. Going to confession is merely an acknowledgement that you are a sinner. And that's like the prerequisite of you being forgiven and saved. No one needs to be saved unless they need to be saved. You know, and Jesus says that, right? I can't, I, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. So my thing is like, if you don't go to confession, it makes me start to wonder, do you need to be saved? The answer is yes, but my thing is, do you think you need to be saved? That's kind of where that's kind of where we go from there, you know. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but what would you say to the people that are like, well, at the beginning of mass, we do the acknowledgement instead. Yeah, yeah. Like, we do. We do the penitential do that, act. Yeah. Then, like, doesn't that just do the same thing as confessional, Father? Like, why do I need to go to confession a separate time if I'm doing that at the beginning of mass? Because that is only forgiving of venial sins. If you if and if you have it if and if and if it has been over a year since you've been to confession, you got to go to confession, like that. That the penitential act does not forgive mortal sins; that is reserved for the sacrament of confession. And so that's I mean that's what I would say. Yeah, there is a forgiveness of sins wrapped up in the Eucharist as well. But I mean, do I need to do I need to remind you of you know Corinthians chapter eleven when our Lord says to receive the Eucharist unworthily is a grave sin, is a grave matter. He, he actually, the, the Greek he uses is like, you have the blood of Christ on your hands if you receive the Eucharist unworthily. Who? Yikes. That's, I mean, that's a tall order. Actually, one, uh, you know, my best friend, Father Andrew Jones, he, um, he tells, and I don't want to steal his story because I'll, I'll get him on here probably for several episodes and stuff. We, we have all kinds of crazy talks, but um, I don't want to steal from his story, but that was one of the things that really started to get him to think about Catholicism because he was a convert as well. He grew up Baptist and he said there was a, one of the, one of the kind of young preachers, I think who came into town or whatnot, he came and he started talking about that passage in Corinthians. And he said, like, it's a serious grave sin to receive communion without, you know, doing so, you know, wholly and like really with your, like really attentively and really well. And, and Jones goes, well, that's kind of unfair because we as Baptists believe that it's just a symbol. And so you kind of have to imagine that it's Jesus. And so is God punishing people for having bad imaginations? And I was like, I was like, yeah, I was like, that's, that's good. So I did anyway, back to that passage. That's the thing. Like that's why we have the confession of sins is so that we can be made prepared and we can be reconciled to the Lord and to the whole church so that when we receive communion, it's not a lie. That's why we call communion communion. Because what we're receiving is the sacrament of our unity with the rest of the body of Christ. So you're so you're saying like I have to be in reconciliation with Lord. I can't have mortal sin on me to be in that communion. Correct. Well, what if you're uh, use I want to use the example where someone who doesn't have easy access to a priest. Sure. Are they just doomed? Are they just you know they can't have any chance of that being in communion with the Lord because they don't have access to a priest to confess their sins. No, and that's a great question because there. I mean, there are plenty of circumstances around the world and throughout the history of the church that would hearken to that kind of reality. Um, I think of uh, I think of a friend who went down to a mission trip in Ecuador, and they went up into the the jungles in Ecuador, and they went to communities that do not get a priest, but once every couple months, if not like once a year. And so you're like, okay, well, are these people just doomed because they they don't get a shot at it? You know, and this is where I would say the Lord is not bound by the sacraments. Okay. The sacrament of reconciliation is the means by which Jesus Christ established his mercy 
for us to receive for us to receive his mercy from our sins. Like that is the means he established. But Jesus is by no means bound by that. He is bound in it in the sense that he when the sacrament is done correctly, he always forgives. He has made himself in a sense like I don't want to say made himself subject to that, but he has made himself in a sense like wrapped up in that sacrament because he's promised that, you know, but he is not bound by the walls of that sacrament. He can forgive extra sacramentally if he wants to Mm -hmm. in the same way that he can grant the gift of salvation to someone outside of the walls of the sacrament of baptism. And he can grant the gift of communion with the body of Christ to someone even outside of the walls of the sacrament of the Eucharist, right? You can receive a spiritual communion, for example. And all of that is chalked up to the Lord's mercy and to his providence and to his wisdom. What the Lord wants to do, the Lord is going to do. And so we, what we do in situations like that where somebody may not have a lot of access to the sacraments, we pray for them. And we, and if you find yourself in that situation— um, say you're say you're in your car on the way to mass or on your way to mass and you're going to stop and go to confession beforehand and you've got you know maybe you've got a mortal sin in your heart and you're like gosh I gotta go confess that you get in a really bad accident and now you're just you know you're laying there on the pavement bleeding out to death you're not gonna live is it like well you're just doomed sorry like you should have you know should should have made it sooner like no, like we, we trust the Lord's mercy. And so we would acknowledge that you were on your way. You were making an effort. You were you were reaching out to the Lord in mercy. We believe that he can reach out of the confessional and receive you as well. Now, do we presume God's mercy? Absolutely not. We got to be careful about that. We got to be careful about assuming that the Lord forgives. You know what I mean? And so that's why we always go to confession. But we also, we, we, we trust that our Lord is a good father, you know, and we place our trust in him in situations like that. Okay. And so with that, um, I guess a move into that would be, why can't I just confess with a phone via text call? Like if I was somewhere, why couldn't I just call my priest and be like, I have this moral sin in my heart. Can you forgive me over the phone? That's a great question. It's a very fitting question because it's a very modern question. And so kind of moving moving historically, this and this will be this will be a good final question. This will kind of be a good way to end our in this episode and in this discussion on confession. Although there's so much more that could be said, this will be a good way to conclude. You cannot go to confession over the phone because the sacraments of the church are not virtual realities. You have to receive all the sacraments in person. You just can't do it. Like in, in COVID, really blew the whole um, blew this whole discussion wide open because everyone's like, "Oh well," and, and I hear this a lot. It's like, "Well, I wasn't able to go to mass on Sunday, so I just watched mass online." And I'm like, "Okay, um, that's fine watching mass online, but you did not participate in the holy sacrifice of the mass by doing that. Maybe in a prayerful." Um, kind of meditative state you offered yourself in union with that mass, but like you are not part, you are not going to mass by watching mass online. That is very important to know. Um, and watching mass online is not a fulfillment of your Sunday obligation. Um, you the sacraments are corporeal realities, and that word corporeal means they're bodied, they're physical. And we talked about that last time, right? The sacraments are both spiritual and physical. Right, they're both they're both um, ethereal and corporeal. They're both like beyond this world, but also part of this world. They're incarnate, and so for you to receive the sacraments, you have to incarnate yourself in the chair. Like you have to actually show up and go and be present. You know, and so that's why you can't do it over the phone. You can't do it virtually. The only the only potential. Um, caveat to that that I would put. And I've I've thought, because this question comes up a lot and I've thought about it. I said, the one exception would be in a situation like this, where um, say I was going to hear the confession of someone on death row. And for whatever reason, they didn't want me to be in the same room as them. So they put us on either side of like a glass panel. And then we had to like talk over a phone that was like connecting both sides. That could be a situation where we're technically speaking over this phone, quote unquote. But what's really happening is we're just using a device to help communicate, even though we're, but we're still physically present for Mm -hmm. each other. Does that make sense? Yes. 
Okay, so that's kind of that would be maybe one weird avant-garde, you know, um, exception to that rule. But that's really no. You got you got to be physically present. You got to show up. You got to be there. And that's how the Lord has designed it. He designed the church to be spiritual and physical. He designed the sacraments to be so as well. You know, they're imitations of Him, right? They're they're part of Him. They're part of His body, both divine and human. And so that was a great final question. Do you? Uh, do you have any words of encouragement or any final words or closing words for any listeners who are considering making the leap into the sacrament of confession? The more you go, the easier it gets. And the more you go, you'll feel it more. Mm. When you go, after a while, I promise you're going to start craving it because you'll feel that reconciliation. You'll feel more in communion when you go to Mass, and it'll be the greatest feeling you'll ever have in your life. Yeah. I remember one of the pivotal moments in in my faith journey was a very important confession I went to when I was in college. And it wasn't because I had horrific things to confess, even things, but just to pre- present myself to a priest, to the church, to God Himself, and to just open my heart, let it, let that be cracked open, and let the Lord pour into that. I echo what John says. It was it was transformative for me. It gave my heart a lot of joy, and it gave my heart a lot of peace. And I was able to move freely. Remember what the Lord says. He says, come to me, you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, take my yoke upon you. That's what the Lord desires because his yoke is easy and his burden light. All right. That's what the Lord desires for you. He desires for you to be light. He desires for you to be free. He desires for you to run and to live life to the fullest. And the sacrament of confession, that's the way to do it. God bless. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Epiphany Podcast. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand.